We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Guys, make sure you go to harrys.com slash Wire for some great offers on Harry's great shaving products. My name's Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's my guy Kyle Madsen at Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, what's going on, buddy? Oh, just hanging out trying to beat the heat up here in Sacramento. It's been like 95 plus for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I am back in the Bay Area after two weeks on the East Coast. It feels very good to be home. And you were East Coast living, too. You weren't just like out there just putzing around. You were going to baseball games and and visiting uh, different locations in those areas. Yeah, did New York City, did upstate New York, uh, did Connecticut, did Boston. I got to go to Fenway for the first time. Shout out to my guy, Mark. Uh, we got a tour of uh, a quick tour of Fenway. Um, sort of impromptu. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Got to go up on the monster. Fenway is is awesome. It's one of those places where like there aren't really any good seats anywhere, but it's just such a cool building and such a cool huh. vibe around the stadium. I highly recommend going there if you're ever in Boston. And if you're uh, if you're a beer person, go check out Trillium. Oh, I'm a big beer guy, and I mean, and I don't say this lightly, but I would put Trillium way up there atop some of the some of the best you know breweries that I've ever been to. And really, yeah, I'm from I'm from Santa Rosa, so I'm a big Russian River snob. But right, of course. Yeah, if you like if you like beer and you're in the Boston area, I highly recommend Trillium. But we're not here to talk about beer so much as we are the 49ers. And training camp is just over a week away. Players are going to start trickling back into Santa Clara next week. Practice. The first practice is going to be July 26th. 
so this podcast, we're going to kind of zoom out. You, you can go back to our feed and, and look at other episodes. We've taken a lot of deep dives into a lot of niche topics or niche topics, whichever you prefer. Uh, this is going to be a big picture pod. We're going to talk about 2019 and, and sort of take a, take a wide angle look at where the 49ers are as a franchise, where Kyle Shanahan is as a head coach, what to expect to Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but first, we got some news to discuss since the last time we delivered you guys a podcast. Robbie Gold has ended his holdout. He signed what the team is calling a four-year deal. It's been reported by ESPN that it's initially a two-year agreement with a clause that includes two years on the back end of it. It could be worth as much as $19 million total with 15 in guarantees. So Gold was away from the 49ers throughout the offseason program. He had demanded a trade in the spring after being given the franchise tag. Uh, the 49ers really cashed him out. It sounds like a lot of this deal is guaranteed. It seems like if, if Gold keeps playing like he did the last two seasons when he was one of the two best kickers in the league, the 49ers are, are going to get value out of that contract because this is a team that wants to consider itself a playoff contender and they do not want... Uh, missed kicks being a reason they lose games. And so Gold has put together, I think last year he made, or the last two years, he made 96% of his field goals, which is the second best rate over two full seasons of any kicker in NFL history. And oddly enough, Gold is second behind himself in 2016 and 2017 from his time with the Giants and the 49ers. He was 96.1%. So uh, really, Gold has been historically accurate over the last couple of years, and it's really hard to find any downside with this deal because we've seen it, particularly with the Bears, that the team that a lot of people thought Gold might go to, given his history there and given that his family still lives in Chicago and the Bears' problems with kickers, obviously, last year in the playoffs being hugely important. Um, Gold comes back to the 49ers. He's not going to go to the Bears, and he's going to be around for at least two seasons, and, and it looks like possibly longer. Yeah, it was kind of a shock. I had I had kind of filed the Robbie Gold thing away after, I think it was an article that Cam Inman put out from the American Century Championship, where Gold was just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm not in a rush to make a decision. Like, I'll let my agent handle it. It sounded very much like negotiations were flat, were done, and he was either going to report week one or was ready to hold out the season. And then all of a sudden, Monday morning, the day of the, the, the deadline for, uh, for franchise-tagged players to sign multi-year deals, it's like, oh, Robbie Goldie's around two more years and maybe even four. <laughs> and I thought that was, I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty incredible that they were able to get that done. But he said on the Adam Schefter podcast that he, from the jump, said, my family's really important to me, so for me to stay, it's going to have to be two years fully guaranteed. Um, and it sounded like the Niners were kind of waiting for him to move off of that, and he clearly wasn't going to, and so they they pulled the trigger on it. On a deal that's only going to pay him a little more annually than the franchise tag, which for all the reasons you said about him being one of the most accurate kickers in league history over the last few years, that's uh, that's a pretty good deal for San Francisco, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up uh, a gold spot track page. I'm curious to see how much he's made over his career. He's going to be right at $48 million after this deal, and he's at just over $29 million through 14 seasons right now. Uh, so I, I'm guessing the way this thing went, I think the 49ers are probably content with giving him a two-year contract. And I think what put it over the top is the clause at the back end of the deal, those those third and fourth seasons, uh, when gold, I think, is going to be, what, 39 and 40, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So 
it seems like certainly a win for gold, even even with his family being in Chicago. He's made it work living in the Bay Area, living out of a hotel when he's, you know, in Santa Clara the last couple seasons. So it's a good move for the 49ers. It's hard to find fault. They have plenty of cap space. Uh, it's not easy to find elite kickers in this league and in Levi's Stadium where the wind is notoriously difficult. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for the 49ers to invest in a, in a quality veteran rather than try to do the thing where they draft a kicker or try to pick somebody up off the street. My guess is Phil Dawson probably would have been their their choice had uh, had things with gold fallen through, but we'll never know because gold's uh, gold's now back with the 49ers on that four-year deal that includes some $15 million in guarantees and could be worth as much as $19 million, which is a great deal for an NFL kicker yeah. at the back end of his career. So let's get to it. I guess the big question is, is what are we expecting from the 49ers in 2019? I go, I, th- this falls in line with something I said recently where I'm, I'm not the person who's going to make a proclamation like this team is winning 10 games or this team stinks and they're only going to win six. Like I could see them winning 10 or 11 games if everything goes right, if they stay healthy, if their receiving core develops, if Jimmy Garoppolo plays like he did in, tw- in 2017, if Kyle Shanahan's offense is as effective as we think it can be just based on his ability to scheme people open. If, if the running backs stay healthy, if the defensive line improves drastically to bother quarterbacks and force more takeaways and the secondary stays healthier than it has the last couple seasons, I think there's a path to be there to, to get to playoff contention and be in that 10, 11 win realm or neighborhood. But I could also see it going the other way and they could continue to deal with injuries, which they have throughout the off season program the defense stagnates and doesn't take the necessary steps needed, particularly involving takeaways and, and being better in the red zone. And the 49ers end up, you know, in winning five, six, seven games. Like I, I can see, like, I, I think the 49ers are a high variance team. Yes, I agree. I think it's really hard to feel confident about them in terms of being a playoff contender, but you look at the roster and you look at where they are in the third year of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's regi- regime and you can say if things go right, then they can absolutely get there. But your confidence level have to, has to be a little bit shaky at best that they could get there. But that's the fun thing about the NFL is teams make drastic jumps every year. We've seen it all the time. So the 49ers could certainly be that team, which is what makes 2019 so fascinating. But like I said, I could see them winning five games and I could see them winning 11. Like I, in my prediction, when the roster came out, I had them going eight and eight, which is far from a stimulating thing to write. Like you think a team is going to be 500, but that's just, that's just where I'm at with these guys. I just don't know what to expect because I think so much of it is based on health. So much of it is based on development from a lot of young players who haven't established themselves in the NFL yet. And so with that, I think like it's wide open. The, the number of outcomes is huge for the 49ers and I think things could go right for them, but I also think things could go very wrong. Uh, and we'll just have to see. We'll have to see if they can get back to the playoffs after five years of of sort of squandering since that 2013 season under Jim Harbaugh. Well, and it's such a house of cards, right? Like the margin for error is so small. And obviously not a lot of teams are going to be able to lose their starting quarterback and be successful. So if that it, that happened last year. It kind of derailed the the Niners season, but they had they had bigger issues than just Jimmy Garoppolo's exit. They stick with the same secondary, with the exception of the additions of Tim Harris and Jason Barrett, two guys who have dealt with injuries throughout their respective careers. 
And they're leaning heavily on D Ford to reproduce a season that to this point has been an outlier for him. And then they're going to lean on Nick Bosa, a rookie who should be, should be a, a star in the NFL. Like he has all the, the tools to be on paper, but who knows? Like you said, the degree of variance is so high and it could all go right. It could all go wrong. Chances are some will go right. Some will go wrong. It's just how many of those things, how drastic are the things that go right and how drastic are the things that go wrong? Like if they deal with some injuries uh, at running back, they have the depth there to withstand that. They can't deal with injuries in the secondary or on the defensive line to to DeForest Buckner, D Ford, or, or Bosa. It's just uh, I'm I'm completely in lockstep with you here. If you came from the future and told me, yeah, the Niners went five and eleven, I would buy it. If you said they went twelve and four, I would buy it without blinking. Um, it's just. That there are so many unknowns all over the roster that it's it's impossible to accurate or with any type of accuracy, I think, project what this team's going to look like this year on the field. Yeah, I'm of the opinion anybody who says like, oh, the Niners are winning six games or oh, they're winning twelve games, like bet it, like they're just being disingenuous. Like nobody yeah, knows. Like you're if you're saying that. You're just simply leaning toward one of the outcomes that are equally likely. Like, does, right. that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think I'm with you in that I think they should have the same odds to win four games as they should win 12 games. Yeah, you know what I, I agree mean? with you. Yeah, so let, let's look at it. So really, I think a lot of this comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo and what kind of quarterback he is. I think you and I both agree that he has a potential to be a playoff-type quarterback. In any given season, he could be a top 10 guy and be the type of player you need to lead a team to the playoffs. And I think, you know, if Garoppolo were to churn out a season like he did uh, over a full 16 game stretch, and we've never seen Garoppolo start more than five games in a season. And he was a backup in new England for three plus years. And then he came to San Francisco and, and earned the starting job after the trade in 2017, played really well, went five and zero as a starter, completed 67% of his passes and looked like, you know, somebody who could eventually become a viable MVP candidate. But what I think separates the great quarterbacks from the good or mediocre ones in the NFL is the ability to do it year after year. So, you know, Sam Bradford is is sort of the classic example for me. Like Bradford at times looks like one of the most talented quarterbacks in football, but he's so high variance in that one year he's a top five guy and the next year he's he's a bottom 10 guy because of interceptions or circumstances right. or, or whatever. What the best quarterbacks do is they find themselves playing like top five quarterbacks year in and year out, which is why I think it's it's sort of short-sighted to look at quarterbacks and say, well, oh, he's having a great season. He's third in yardage or third in quarterback rating or QBR, whatever metric you like to use, and say he's a top five quarterback in this league. Well, what's he done over his entire career? I mean, that's the difference between Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Roethlisberger, all those guys. Philip Rivers, you know all those guys are going to be good year in and year out because you trust them because they are that consistent Jimmy Garoppolo has proven that he can be an effective quarterback in the NFL, but he hasn't done it over any prolonged amount of time. So we've seen him do it for five games. We saw last year, it seemed like he took a significant step back in those three games, those two plus games, I should say, before going down with the injury in Kansas City. He played significantly worse. He completed, you know, after completing 67% of his passes, he, he completed 60% of his passes. Uh, his, right. his yards per attempt went down from 8.8 to 8.1, which is okay, but 8.8 is elite 8.1 is is less so he would you know so he struggled a little bit and and I've long 
argued that I think Jarek McKinnon's injury a week before the season really changed what they had to do offensively, and I think it really impacted Garoppolo and how comfortable he was within the offense. And I do think had Garoppolo been healthy throughout the entire season, he would have started playing much better. Uh, And I think towards the end of the year, when you saw the 49ers offense as a whole take a jump with Nick Mullins, I think Garoppolo could have done something similar to what he did in 2017 when he played pretty well in those five games, winning all those five games, including beating a couple playoff teams, not counting the Rams who were sitting all their starters uh, late in the year. So I think Garoppolo could be that quarterback, but we simply haven't seen it. Uh, He's never started more than five games in a season. We don't know what he looks like over a 16-game slate. So he's sort of like... It, he's the poster child for this entire conversation we're having. Yes. Like the Niners are a high variance team because, well, Jimmy Garoppolo could be an MVP candidate and leave the te- and lead the team to twelve wins because we've seen how he operates at times in Kyle Shanahan's offense. We've also seen him struggle, and we've also seen him get hurt quite a bit. And this isn't just something, you know, it's not just the ACL tear last year. He had the shoulder injury when he stepped in for Tom Brady during Brady's uh, suspension back in 2016. So I'm just fascinated by, by Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 because he's coming off the injury. This is essentially his, you know, his second full offseason in the system, he's going to have a much better complement of weapons now that Kyle Shanahan has had more time to tinker with the roster, add draft picks, um, you know, Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel, I think, is a really promising receiver core. Mm-hmm. Two two guys to build your receiving core around, I should say. But we have no idea if Pettis can be healthy and productive over 16 right. games, just like Garoppolo. Debo Samuel, two of his four years in college were marred with injury. And while he is sort of the perfect Kyle Shanahan receiver, we don't know that he's going to be healthy over a 16-game slate. And he's not even signed yet. So we don't know if he's going to miss time in training camp because of contract stuff or not. So... I mean, offensively, the 49ers figure to be good because we think Jimmy Garoppolo is good and we think his complement of weapons is good, including George Kittle. And we think they have a very athletic stable of running backs. Mm-hmm. But even the running backs are all dealing with, have all dealt with injuries in the past, except for Tevin Coleman, who looks like a really good signing. So you have Coleman and Jarek McKinnon, who missed all of last year with the ACL tear. You have Matt Breida, uh, who was really good while healthy, but struggled with an ankle injury. I, I would think Breida is going to be really good again, particularly with added depth around him, assuming everybody stays healthy. So we should feel confident about the 49ers offense if everything goes to plan in terms of health and development. Um, but the defense really is just a giant question mark, I think. Yeah, that's and, and it felt like as you were going through those positions on offense, and we'll do this a little bit more next week when we do our more in-depth pods on on both sides of the ball, but I feel like at every key position, with the exception, I think, of George Kittle. I think George Kittle is like a surefire, you know what, that guy's going to produce, put him in any situation. Like He's, he's that good, and he plays, a, he plays a position that allows him to be that. I think everywhere else on the roster, uh, the starters are, you have Richard Sherman, who's who's getting to be in his mid-30s. I think... 31. He turns 32 this year, right? He just turned 31. Just March. turned 31, okay. Yeah. So either way, he's in his early 30s. He's aging at a position where it's difficult to age gracefully. So that's a question. Um, and, and then you can do that all over the roster. And I think that that's where the crux of what we're saying kind of is, is the Niners roster might be great. It might also be really terrible. In five years, we could look back and go, man, that was really, that was really the start of something. Or in five years, we could look back and go, 
man, remember the 2019 Niners? Here, let me <laughs> read you some names. Right. Um, it, it's and it feels like a turning point for for the franchise. Like this is kind of the year where all right, it's got to all be put together, or some some stuff has to change. Yeah, I want to talk about the defense more, uh, but but before we take a quick break, I, w- I want to say something else too. Like the offseason program didn't really inspire much confidence in terms of the Niners' ability to stay healthy and develop players. Right. So, and right. and I'm not trying to oversell the importance of the spring program because I'm of the belief that it's not all that important. And it's my understanding that the team was extremely cautious with anybody dealing with injury because they value health at this point more than spring practice reps where nobody's in pads and it doesn't entirely matter. So anybody dealing with anything was held out of the offseason program. That being said, there were a ton of guys on the shelf and a ton of guys not on the practice field including a number of key ones like Nick Bosa and uh, Debo Samuel was banged up. Fred Warner was banged up. Quan Alexander, someone who we'll talk about a little bit later, hasn't practiced at all. Jarek McKinnon, uh, Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida, Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously only limited to seven on sevens. Like it was really sort of a, a group of walking wounded in the offseason program. And so we're, we're not entering this thing, entering training camp thinking, OK, the 49ers are ripe and raring to go. Like there are a lot of question marks because all these dudes uh, were were injured. But let's take a quick break. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire, the network behind this podcast, is teaming up with Harry's Razors to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full re- fund again make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for three dollars this is mike mcglinchey the san francisco 49ers and you're listening to the candlestick chronicles okay so when it comes to the 49ers defense i I think the most important conversation to have and is sort of a league-wide conversation and, and debate almost is the value of the pass rush versus coverage and i know a lot of the the really smart people at pro football focus who who really analyze this stuff, both anecdotally, qualitatively, quantitatively, they value coverage more than pass rush, just in general. And I'm sort of, of, I'm caught in between. I think it depends on your personnel. I think it depends on the scheme you're running and just sort of what what you have and the, the type of talent that is available to you. I think it was important for the 49ers to improve the pass rush because I don't think opposing quarterbacks really were bothered all that much last year. And I think in combination with all the injuries the 49ers had in the secondary, particularly at safety, uh, just the lack of pass rush, the lack of game-changing pass rush, particularly off the edge, was really problematic. And and you saw it in the number of takeaways. The 49ers forced two interceptions, which is the lowest in the Super Bowl era. Again, two interceptions over 16 games. That's brutal. It's just not good enough. You're not going to win any games. And pair that with how much the offense turned the ball over with, you know, obviously C.J. Beathard and, and Nick Mullins starting the bulk of games throughout the season. That's that's going to be a problem. But 
the the combination of the offense turning the ball over and the defense being completely unable to unable to take the ball away you're not going to be a good team and i think that was sort of the story of the 49ers in 2018 so you look at it this year you add nick bosa arguably the best defensive player in the draft i think he's the best defensive player in the draft i know a lot of people love quentin williams but bosa is that game changing defensive end uh and you add d ford who was arguably the best pass rusher off the edge in the NFL last year, just in terms of forcing takeaways, right? Like pressures that led yeah. to led to interceptions, force fumbles. He led the league with six force fumbles last year. Um, he was the guy. So be, to be able to get those guys dramatically reshapes what you can do with your pass rush. So add them to DeForest, Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, the third overall pick in 2017. You have the makings of a really good defensive line and the 49ers defensive line has to be good if this team is going to be good. If it's not, then it is a massive failing uh, for this team because they don't have a secondary to prop up a, a bad defensive front. They just don't. Um, they haven't invested the resources in the secondary aside from Richard Sherman, who, as you mentioned, is aging. There's just not a ton of talent there. But like elsewhere on the roster, there are guys who maybe could develop into those guys. I think we saw Kella Witherspoon in 2017 as a rookie play like somebody who could develop into a high-level starter, but then he took a dramatic step back last season. And then you look at safety and you have you, you decide to bring back Jimmy Ward on a one-year $5 million contract. Well, Ward's now dealing with a broken collarbone, which is unofficially his 20th broken bone since entering the NFL, and he's been on injured reserve in four of his five seasons, I think. Um, So that's not a good sign. And then you have Adrian Colbert, who got hurt last year after playing inconsistently, who also looked like a promising potential high-level starter as a rookie before year two. Uh, So you just have all these question marks. And what the 49ers did defensively was was really change their coaching staff. So they have a new defensive line coach in Chris Kasurik. They're going to do more wide nine stuff, which sort of means letting loose Nick Bosa and D Ford uh, from a wider angle, allowing them to to go one-on-one in more of a direct path to the quarterback against offensive tackles instead of having to win by going around them, um, right. which is the most basic way to, to talk about the wide nine. Uh, and they're going to play you know, in base with three traditional second-level linebackers. We'll see how much that changes in nickel and what they do. They have a new secondary coach in Joe Woods, who is a former Broncos defensive coordinator, so they got rid of Jeff Halfley. So maybe the 49ers will be better on the back end in terms of communication and all those things because we saw so many communication lapses in the secondary, in part because they started eight different combinations at safety throughout the year, which is an impossible way to have success in the league, by the way. But um, – yeah, I mean, the defense, it's its hard to feel confident about the defense taking a dramatic step, but I think going back to the conversation of pass rush versus coverage, if those pass rushers can get to the quarterback fast enough to speed up their deliveries, then it could mask a lot of the issues, a lot of the deficiencies a secondary has. What what I think the people who argue that coverage is more valuable than pass rush would say is quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball faster and faster. And Mm -hmm. you could scheme against an elite pass rush by just getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, which obviously can negate all that. So we're going to see, I mean, there are cases for, for, you know, either philosophy, right? Like we talk about the Eagles a lot and what they did a couple years ago when they won the Super Bowl by just having a completely loaded defensive line. And they had first round picks basically coming off the bench as rotational pass rushers, Uh, you know, Derek Barnett, for example, guys like that all up and down that defensive line. And that is what carried the Eagles, their defensive line depth and their ability to bother quarterbacks. Well, 
what the Patriots do famously is they're always really good in coverage, in part because Bill Belichick is a mastermind schemer, but because they prioritize finding players in the secondary far more so than than the front seven. And they're, they're more willing to pay those guys. Stephon Gilmore is the obvious example there, right? So right. it just depends on your scheme, your coaching staff, the personnel you already have in place. I don't know if I feel strongly about it one way or the other, but I do think the 49ers are taking somewhat of a gamble by not by spending the offseason and not investing significant resources in that secondary. And we'll have to see if the improvements they made up front is going to make up for those issues because I think everybody in the league thought the Niners were going to make a run at Earl Thomas, but they didn't. Yep. And now, you know, Jimmy Ward, Adrian Colbert, Jaquasi Tart, Marcel Harris, Tarverius Moore, like, what is the safety group going to look like? And is it going to be good enough? Because those are incredibly important positions, let alone Akella Witherspoon and, you know, or whoever's starting opposite Richard Sherman. Yeah. They put a ton of faith in that secondary. The, I was, I was reading an ESPN piece the other day that was basically saying the 49ers don't have any good players in the secondary and maybe they don't, but again, fitting with the motif of the 2019 Niners, we don't know. Because Akello Witherspoon has been good at points in his career. Richard Sherman was good last year. Jason Verrett, if biggest possible, if he's healthy, is a Pro Bowl caliber talent. And then they have a bunch of safeties who have at various points played at high levels. And can they get that over 16 games? I don't I don't know. But there's no yeah, the thing is is there's no there's no reason to feel confident that that these guys can do it over 16 games. Right. And, and what you said at the very beginning of that was spot on. It's all the, it's all the pass rush. Can the pass rush affect quarterbacks enough that average coverage will be good enough? Because I think that's probably the best the Niners can realistically hope for is this is, this will be an average secondary where the pass rush helps elevate their level of play by making quarterbacks uncomfortable. The, the 49ers seem confident that this is, this is the way to go. Kyle Shanahan has equated a good pass rush, a good edge rusher to uh, the importance of a good edge rusher to the importance of a quarterback on, on offense. And they're giving it a shot. And if it doesn't work, like I said, they're, they're really back at square one because there's, there's not a lot of other stuff to build around on this roster. So let, let's sort of take the last angle of this big picture conversation and say, you know, say the 49ers are bad. Say they're bad again and say Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, but he looks more like the player who struggled in the first three games of 2018 than the guy who really dominated in the last five games of 2017. Say the Niners win five or six games and it's not because they can point to injuries, you know, like they could last year. Once Garoppolo went down, the season was basically over. The Niners were too early in their rebuilding stages to, field a contending team or really a team that could play good teams tough with CJ Beathard and later Nick Mullins. I mean, they did at the end of the year, but you know, it's hard to put too much value on those games because teams look at the Niners and their record and say, okay, we're, we're not, we don't necessarily need to bring our a game to come out with a win here. And I think a lot of teams took the 49ers lightly, both at the end of last year and in 2017, which might be a reason why Jimmy Garoppolo looked as good as he did, or at least one of the reasons that's not, I'm not trying to take away anything from Garoppolo. Yeah. Then, but those human elements have to be factored in. So say they're just bad. Like say Jimmy Garoppolo isn't nearly as good as the 49ers hoped he would be. Say they win six or seven games or whatever. I mean, who takes the blame? Like what happens? Because Jed York at the owners meetings in Phoenix 
said I, I'm more confident in in the combination of Kyle Shannon and John Lynch than I have been since they were hired. And I totally understand why Jed York would say that. It's his job when he's speaking on the record to reporters to exude confidence and feel good because after all, these are the two guys he's attaching himself and the entire organization to and he needs to instill confidence in them and in the fan base. And it's his job to sort of build momentum into the season and make sure the fans are looking forward to what could be a really interesting year or what's going to be a really interesting year, no matter how it shakes out really. But if the Niners fall flat, where are we? Because we're going to be halfway through the six-year contracts, the matching six-year contracts that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both signed. And where are they going to go? I, I So my feeling is... Kyle Shanahan is is sort of a made guy in the sense that I think if he were to get fired, he would get a new head coaching job right away because a lot of owners would look at the situation here and say, well, the defense wasn't particularly good. Jimmy Garoppolo ended up being not as good, you know, as many hoped. And, and maybe that's a serious indictment on Shanahan if Garoppolo wasn't good enough because Shanahan made the decision on Garoppolo. That was Shanahan's decision and Shanahan's alone. Um, because one of the reasons he was brought in was to find a quarterback that can run his offense and get the 49ers to contention. If Garoppolo is not that guy, that falls on Shanahan. And that's probably the biggest indictment that could come down the road of Shanahan if Garoppolo doesn't pan out. Now, if Garoppolo doesn't pan out because he's not healthy, then that's a different conversation. Is is it really an indictment on Shanahan, who's widely regarded as one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, that he hitched his wagon to a guy who couldn't stay healthy. Uh, I would think the 49ers would in that case be comfortable bringing Shanahan back for a fourth year. And maybe they go a different direction. Maybe Kirk cousins flails in Minnesota and maybe he becomes available. Maybe they, you know, maybe they can trade up and get a quarterback in the draft that they really like. I think in that scenario, Shanahan would be safe. If Garoppolo is healthy and just isn't good, then as safe as we all thought Kyle Shanahan is going into the season, I think that's the scenario where you start wondering if the 49ers eventually go in a different direction. On the flip side, John Lynch was hired by Kyle Shanahan, right? So even though general manager typically is higher on on the hierarchy than the head coach, Kyle Shanahan is easily the most important person in the football operation. If the defense isn't good or doesn't take the necessary steps – who falls, right? Is is Shanahan going to look at Lynch and say, this is your fault? Or is Shanahan going to take responsibility and say, ultimately, I have the trigger on all the significant roster decisions. I'm the one to blame because I'm the one who, you know, drafted Jalen Hurd in the third round, a, a receiver, rather than investing in the secondary. Right. You know, Shanahan has final call on all these decisions. So the, if even if the defense, like the, def- the defense is a reflection of Shanahan too, because like a lot of the best coaches in the NFL, he's responsible for the roster and has more say than John Lynch does. So, you know, it could get interesting, right? If the defense doesn't play well, does Kyle Shanahan point to John Lynch or anyone else in the personnel department and say, you convinced me this guy was good and he's not, you're gone. And is that person going to be John Lynch? Is it going to be Adam Peters? Is it going to be Martin Mayhew? Um, these are all questions that you have to you have to consider going into the season because if the Niners defense is, you know, in the bottom 10 and the the same issues that have been plaguing them the last two years pop up again, then w- w- what do you do? You you have to find a fall guy and presumably that would be coordinator Robert Sala, but 
you know, we saw it this last year. The Niners dealt with more injuries or just about as many injuries as any other team during the last two seasons. So they completely overhauled their training staff. Do they do the same thing in the front office if if the guys that they're banking on, on on the roster, the guys they invested valuable resources in, don't develop into quality starters? And I think you point to the first round of the 2017 drafts. I know Solomon Thomas has been through a lot off the field, but at some point you have to wonder if he if he's going to have staying power. And I hate to say it, given that you know he's dealt with tremendous tragedy. But, I mean, these are real-life conversations the 49ers are going to have to have, right? So, Ruben Foster is not on the team. Like, that's an obvious failing. It's somebody that you drafted who had question marks entering the league, and he basically answered all those questions in the wrong, in, in the worst way possible. Is no longer on the team. So, these are all indictments on the front office or the decision-making process, which ultimately falls on Kyle Shanahan because he is the most important person in the building. But you wonder... Depending on how the season goes, is Kyle Shanahan still going to be infallible or is he going to be able to point the finger to other people within the organization and say, the defense isn't good enough because of you guys. I listen to you guys. I spent all my time working on the offense. The offense is good, but it's the defense that's holding us back. Then maybe we talk about the 49ers looking for a new GM and, and John Lynch isn't the guy, or maybe they just completely overhaul everybody else and Adam Peters and Martin Mayhew and whoever else is gone. Right. So these are all sort of big picture questions that we have, or maybe the Niners win 12 games. John Lynch wins executive of the year. Uh, Kyle Shanahan wins coach of the year and Jimmy Garoppolo wins MVP. I mean, I'm not banking on that happening, but it is possible. Right. Um, it's not, these it's, are, these are all conversations that we're going to have to have at some point because just, just because that's the nature of the NFL. Like if you don't win coaches, GMs get replaced. It's a cycle. So we we're at, we're at a very interesting point in the Niners cycle entering this year. I think the, the 49ers have the highest variation if you look at every NFL team's best-case scenario and worst-case scenario. I think the 49ers are the furthest apart. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because the 49ers' best-case scenario, like their ceiling is a legitimate Super Bowl contender. If right. Again, if this is their absolute ceiling. Everyone's healthy. Everything goes right for them. Mm-hmm. But then their floor, like I think we saw it last year. Yeah, they had the number two pick. Yeah, like three wins, I think, is their floor. And I don't think there's any other team with a three-win floor that's also looking at a Super Bowl type of ceiling. Right. But that's that's realistically where the Niners are at. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's pretty unique. Because even going into last year, I didn't think four wins was probably their floor. They, they surpassed even my lowest expectations for last season. Right. But, oh, <laughs> All of this being said, the most likely scenario is what you predicted. It's probably like eight and eight because there's going to be some stuff that goes right and some stuff that doesn't. Right. So it ultimately comes down. And I mean, I think it just comes down to how good Garoppolo is. Yep. And, you know, I think the 49ers could make the playoffs because I think Garoppolo put it this way. I think Garoppolo is better than Jared Goff just as a talent, as a pure talent. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fine. What Goff had was maybe as good, if not better, of a system around him and much better talent, better health, uh, and a better defense than what Garoppolo's had. And obviously, Goff didn't get hurt last year. Um, I think Garoppolo is better than Kirk Cousins. I think Garoppolo is better than Dak Prescott. I think he's better than Mitch Trubisky. Um, I think he's better than Derek Carr. Uh, Eli Manning, Marcus Mariota, I mean... 
you know, is he better than Matthew Stafford? I mean, we'll see. But we're talking about quarterbacks who who have gone pretty far in the playoffs, who I think just from a pure talent perspective, you could lump Garoppolo into the conversation with. But like I said earlier, we just don't know if Garoppolo can do it over a 16-game slate because he's never played more than five games in a single season or never started more than five games in a single season. So, yeah, I think <laughs> I think we should wrap this up just saying, like, the Niners are going into 2019 as just, like, the ultra-high-variance team. <laughs> they, could be, they, they could be decimated by injuries again, which they have been the last two years and be bad and f- end up picking in the top five. And maybe they're looking at a new fr- for a new franchise quarterback next year because most of the guaranteed money in Garoppolo's $137.5 million deal is, is going to be gone, so you can move off of him if you need to. Or Garoppolo becomes an MVP candidate and leads the 49ers to yeah. an NFC West crown, which I think is possible because you could see the Rams taking a step back after what happened in the Super Bowl. Maybe they're... Maybe their window is closing a little bit, or maybe they're, you know, if if Jared Goff doesn't elevate his game, maybe they stagnate a little bit and come back to the pack. I think Seattle is going to be a really tough team. They always are. Uh, Russell Wilson's probably going to be in the in the MVP discussion. Their defense is probably still going to be good, even though it's completely remade. But like, yeah, we we could talk we could talk about the 49ers needing to find a new franchise quarterback by next January or February, or we could talk about. Jimmy Garoppolo may maybe getting a contract extension and becoming the highest paid player in the league because he yeah. leads the 49ers to 13 wins or something crazy. I mean it's it's all possible which is which what is what makes 2019 so interesting for this team. Yeah, and so interesting and so important because they're teetering on all right, this is going to be a perennial playoff contender or back to phase 1 of the rebuild. Um, <laughs> that's 42 minutes of podcast to let everybody know we don't know anything. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, too. Like, football, I think, is the most new. Like, you have to have so much nuance when you talk about football. Yeah, absolutely. But you can still take an educated guess for most teams, like the Colts, for example. I think the Colts are going to be really, really good this year. And chances are they will be. That's just kind of the educated. Might Andrew Luck get hurt and they struggle and they win five games? Sure. But odds are they're going to be really freaking good. The Dolphins are probably going to be really freaking bad. The Niners, who knows? Like it's it's either it's really either direction. Yeah, and like this happens all the time. The Rams were bad, and then all of a sudden they won the NFC West. The Jaguars were bad, then they go ten and six, win the win the AFC South, have one of the best defenses that we've seen in a few years, and then fall back down to earth and go five and eleven the next year. So. Maybe that team's the 49ers. Maybe they take that jump. I think it's not crazy to say that they do it, but it's also not crazy to see them winning six or seven games because their plans don't work because guys are injured or guys don't develop like they need to. We don't know that Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch can build a winning roster yet. We think they have it in them, but we just haven't seen it. And so it's... It's going to be just a fascinating season. And, you know, they will say they're not approaching this year with a ton of urgency or pressure or, you know, super high expectations. But I would guess behind the scenes, behind closed doors, they absolutely feel like they need to win at least eight or nine games this year just to feel okay coming out of the thing in January if they don't make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, then they're fine. 
Right. You know, I think they make the playoffs and they lose, then we're running it back. We're we're doing all this again, uh, hoping that the young guys can can develop and get better. Right. Um, if they don't, if they fall on their face, then you know, are some of the rookies that we've seen are they gonna are they gonna be battling for roster spots in training camp next year, as opposed to us thinking they're really safe this year, right? So yeah, yeah, we don't know anything. That's, that's <laughs> our take is we don't know. We but, we don't we know nothing. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Thank you. Yeah, sorry this isn't first take where we can where we can stake our our credibility on our predictions. That's just not going to happen here. But it's going to be fascinating. And so uh, and I so I think that's it. So next week we're going to have. I think we're going to start with offense. We're going to do two pods next week in preparation for the start of training camp. We're going to take a deeper dive into the offense early in the week, and then midweek we'll do the defense. And as training cramp, training cramp, training camp progresses, uh, we'll try to do two pods a week, recapping what's happening at practice, uh, what we see, some trends, interesting, different things like that. And so, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Training cramp sounds like all of my trips to the gym. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. Yeah, it is. Bye, guys. <laughs>